0: And welcome to Lessons Learned, supported by Airhead with me, Laura Winter. In this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to star sportsmen and women about the moments, choices, or indeed in hindsight, the mistakes that have formed the backdrop to their greatest victories and their biggest defeats. Because more often than not, A lesson learned the hard way is a lesson learned for a lifetime. We are about to delve into my guests' professional and personal moments, both good and bad. From becoming a parent or winning Olympic gold, to getting divorced or losing a race, there are lessons to be learned in every human experience. I can't believe how quickly this series is going. Episode 6 is now here. I hope you all enjoyed a brilliant chat with Iron Man star Lucy Charles and, of course, her dog Lola, too. I really felt we tapped into the psyche of what it is to be a professional athlete and the work ethic required as well. And so many of you were excited to listen, as ever. Thank you. Now, my guest this episode is about to take us on an emotional roller coaster. prepare yourselves. We will discuss Olympic highs, crushing World Cup woes, and how quickly life can change putting it all in perspective. And my guest speaks so articulately and with such self-awareness about her five life lessons. Just a quick note to say, due to the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, all of these interviews have been recorded virtually rather than face-to-face, but we've smoothed the audio out as much as we can. Before we launch into it, I'm so pleased to say this podcast is supported by Airhead. The team have created a truly unique pollution mask for people that love getting active and being outside for their physical and mental health. Active travel and wearing a mask has never been so important. Whether you're cycling, running or walking, this mask offers the most advanced protection. Head over to www.airhead.cc forward slash lessons learned to join the Airhead community, pre-order your mask and claim a whopping 43% discount. So here we go then, sit back and relax and if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a review as well. I'd love to hear what you think. A very warm welcome to my guest this episode, Olympic champion and former England and Great Britain hockey captain, Alex Danson. Making her international debut in 2001, Alex went on to become one of the greatest hockey players the country has seen, winning 306 international caps. She was part of the squad that won bronze at the London 2012 Olympic Games before going on to become Olympic champion at Rio 2016 in that historic match that 9 million of us tuned into. Just two years later, Alex hit her head and suffered a brain injury and whilst making a recovery, has since retired from the game she loves after 18 years in the sport. Alex, hello, very warm welcome, how are you? Hello
1: Laura, very well thank you, how are you?
0: Yeah, doing really well. Thank you. Very good. I'm so excited to get you on the podcast. I feel so much of what you have to say resonates with our audience and resonates with exactly what this podcast is all about. And just reading that short intro of what you've achieved. You've been on quite the journey, haven't you, from 2001 as a young hockey player to now?
1: It has, it has definitely been a journey. Uh, it sometimes feels like now a completely different life ago. Uh, and actually how different the world was in 2001 when I started my career to kind of the professional setup uh, that we have the opportunity to be a part of now is, yeah, I, I'm really happy to be here and I'm really looking forward to sharing some of those stories. I don't think podcasts were a thing in 2001. We didn't have social media. Laura, I didn't have a mobile. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. Mobiles weren't really a thing. So yeah, it, it really was. The setup of elite sport was completely different. So I feel very privileged to have um, seen our world really transition from amateur through to professional, um, from competing through to, to winning. So yeah, it's been a, a, real, a, a real privilege for me over my career.
0: Oh, absolutely. And as well, I think as the professional side of it and the elite sport side of it and how that's changed, we're also going to get a real sense of who you are personally as well. We'll come on to it later, but what you've been through over the last two years
1: yeah, it's definitely. Um, I think when you're an athlete, you you have this utopian ending to your career or how you hope it may finish. And, and for me, it was it was very very different. And um, it wasn't certainly wasn't how I imagined it. But actually, you, I believe you have a choice in life around how you view things. And I, I view my ending very positively. And um, but yeah, there's. I definitely learned a lot about myself and about you know our well-being and certainly the brain over the last two years. And I'll, I'll share that with you later.
0: Oh, I, yeah, I can't wait. And and you're right. We can't. Con- control what happens to us, but we can control how we react to it. That's pretty much all we can control in life, isn't it?
1: Yes. And I think that's how I tried to live my career. There's I think, I think actually sports set me up for the last two years which have been very challenging um, I think in sports you can only control really what you do I could control when I trained how I trained the intensity at which I trained what I ate how I slept what life choices I made but at the end of the day you've got an opposition to play and they have every right to win as you do so I can finish my career and I have finished my career feeling very proud very happy and I can look back and have no regrets because of how I chose to live it so that's a wonderful place Be. That is a
0: wonderful way to end a career. Let's go back to the start of the career though (laughs) and look at your first moment, the first moment you learned your lessons from, and that was the England under 16 trials or camp, wasn't it?
1: Yes, um, I was, I think I was 14, perhaps 15, I think I was 14 years old, and you know, my dream at school was so far away from school it was to play hockey, to maybe play for an England under 16 team. It was it was all I wanted. And I remember, you know, get this is how time would change. You got a letter through the post, no emails. Got a letter in the post asking me to, for a trial. Um, it was up at Lillyshaw, which for me was an adventure in itself. It was miles away and we were plotting how we'd get there on the train with my mum and my sister. And I remember we had to take my poor sister because if you had two kids, you've got them free. <laughs> so my poor sister had to come up for the ride. I went to this trial and as I said, it was everything that I wanted to try and achieve to be a part of that national team. And the first thing we did when we got there was a bleep test. Now I was a very green kid. I'd never even heard of a bleat test. I just like playing hockey. And for anyone that doesn't know, it's over twenty meters, and you run back and forwards to exhaustion. Um I got level ten point one. I think it wasn't wasn't the best. wasn't certainly wasn't the worst, but it was you know around about the middle. And I think there was about thirty five of us there trialing for sixteen spots. And the next thing was obviously going out onto the pitch and playing. And, you know, I was doing well at school, I was doing well in my club, I was playing well at the south of England, but suddenly put me in an arena with, you know, the best um, young people from all around the country. I'll be honest, I was terrible. I was just nowhere near as good as anybody else. I remember this just almost like heart-sinking moment of, I'm just not good enough. What was I thinking? I, you know, I'm so far off this. And it kind of continued that. It was a week's trial. And I remember feeling like that the whole way through, kind of out of my depth and not doing very well. And then at the end of the week, I was convinced, well, that's my chance over, you know, going home, that's it. It was a nice thought. And I remember so vividly, we were sat in one of these beautiful hall rooms at Lillyshaw and the coach said to us, okay, here's the thing, we're going to invite you all back for the second trial. I remember being sat there thinking all but me or all but everybody I was like hey I'm coming back this is great um, and I, I remember and she said we want to see how you progress over the next eight weeks over summer and we're going to invite you all back for a second trial." Um, and I, I remember going home and it was almost like something just clicked in me I was like okay what can can I do to make make me be seen at the next trial? Uh, and unfortunately for my poor parents, I woke them up pretty much every morning before work for them and school for me. And we went running. I was determined I could at least get fit. And eight weeks went by, went back to those um, trials at Lillishall. First thing we did when we got there, a bleak test. And this time I I got level 14.1. So I made an enormous improvement. Went to play hockey. I was still terrible. However, the reason I share this story is I think it was the... It became the basis of my career, it became the platform I think that began for me because that year, by some absolutely miracle, I was picked for the England under sixteen team, but but not because I was the most talented, but I think the coaches saw in me my work ethic. You know, and, and I always say this if I have the opportunity to speak with a young person, you know, it's it's not always the most talented that are the most successful, it's the ones that work hard, it's the ones that go that extra mile. And You know, I was just saying to the coach, I will work hard for you. You can teach me the skills. And that was very much how my career started. It was trying to learn quickly. It was trying to pick up the things that I didn't know, but I was always there and I was always willing. Uh, And yeah, I think that probably gave me the best foundation um, to begin what did become a long career.
0: Firstly, I love that you can still remember to the point your bleep test results, and that's something <laughs> that is so that is endemic within sports people that they just remember. I still I used to swim, I still remember my times I did when I was 14. Like, why is that still in my brain? And you still remember those bleep test improvements that you made, which is just so typical of a sports person.
1: <laughs> it's so true. Um, you know, we, we you become very data driven. Um, I've actually just purchased the Watt bike, and, and I'm six months pregnant, and I'm looking at the, at the things, going, I'm so far off where I am. My husband's like for goodness sake you're not going to be anywhere close. so I, I think it it becomes jumped into you uh, the way that that happens
0: yeah absolutely and you're so right that the the hockey specific techniques and skills can be taught but actually a work ethic and a drive and a determination ambition a competitive nature yes it can be nurtured but certainly that's something that is kind of born within someone obviously you had it in spades
1: yeah I think it's certainly now something moving into coaching world and um when I look at younger people it's definitely definitely i look for character there i believe there's a reason why in that under 16 team it was the it was the workhorses that made it inverted commas it was the ones that made good life choices that learned how to become a full athlete so not just a hockey player but somebody that learned to look after their nutrition that um, studied around sleep um, that made really good life choices and difficult decisions you know I don't like the word sacrifice because I feel like that's a you know unwilling choice it's it's making good choices to support you becoming, you know, getting to the top of your game. Um, And as I said, I look back at that team and understandably, that's okay. People make different choices. Um, But I knew what I wanted to do very early. And yeah, I think I had a steely determination about me and fabulous parents that supported me without pushing me. I think probably that combination gave me that really good start. I'm
0: intrigued to know what went through your mind during that first week where you went out on the hockey pitch and thought, oh my god I'm terrible I'm the least talented here I'm the worst but yet kept going back day on day and having the confidence to still go out there despite feeling like you were terrible because as a 14 year old girl that must have been quite a barrier to
1: overcome yeah I mean there's two things there I was three and a half hours away from home there was no chance of me getting anywhere else. so no, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> no choice I've got to get out of it but actually again whereas I wasn't good at the skills I never stopped running so it's I believe it's about identifying what you are good at. So when we're in an environment where we feel out of our depth, there is always something that we can do. There is always a super strength that we can draw on. And mine wasn't, I wasn't technically gifted. I wasn't um, super, super skillful and able to eliminate players, but I was able to hassle and run down and be a nuisance and be really present in a different way. And as I said, I think that is what caught the coach's eye far more than the polished, finished skillful athlete which you're never going to be at age 14 anyway but I think there's always many things that you can do um, and I think that was ah, uh, but probably partly now I've got an older brother I never wanted to be beaten by him that was probably instilled into me from an early age but um, yeah it was about focusing on what I could do rather than on the bits that I couldn't but yeah as a kid that's that's tricky, but you always want to be good at the kind of more glamorous things, but that's not always what what moves you forward. Well, you very much got
0: through that, uh, and from being, in your words, <laughs> the least talented, you got to London 2012, a home Olympic Games, which I think for anyone, whether they were working there or competing as a home athlete, it was just one of the most extraordinary two weeks, a seminal moment in, in anyone's career.
1: Yeah, L- London was... I, without a doubt for me I think the stand standout Olympic Games and it was really special actually. even being in the village with the athletes you'd hear other athletes saying God this is this is the best games I've been to you heard coaches that have been to seven Olympics saying this will never be topped and there was a real sense of pride as a British athlete that you know, we would put this on this was this was because our nation had got behind our athletes and everything that sport means and and the the lessons it gives young people the hope it gives other members of our community it's it it just brings people together so there was certainly a journey up to London and um, I was very proudly went to my first Olympics in Beijing and um, we finished sixth it was a wonderful experience but it, it wasn't the winning competitive experience that I hoped for and then as we built into the London Games we had such a good team we had this real ethos around I'll be honest we were aiming for gold so it was around being gold in our mentality about being gold in everything we did every day in how we behaved and how we spoke with one another um, in the choices that we made, in the intent at which we trained when we we're on the field, it was okay. You've got 18 sessions in a week. Well, let's make 18 count. Not oh, we've got another one tomorrow. Let's not go a bit easier today. So it was, it was very much a a group mentality building into those Olympic games. And I'll yeah, I'll, I'll never forget the moment um, we're sat in the change room and our coach Danny Kerry. We're just about to play Japan in our opening match, and I remember him sat down. And he said okay, whatever you do, it's noisy out there. You know, there's 17,500 British fans in red, white, and blue. The atmosphere is electric. When you go out there, just focus on your job. Just focus on what you have to do for the team and just play the game minute by minute. And I can again remember so vividly, I can almost, I'm almost nodding as I say it, because I remember sat there thinking, yeah, no problem, got it, got it. And that feeling as we lined up in the tunnel, it hit me. It was like a a wave of noise and I remember stepping through the tunnel and putting a foot on the turf and I say I couldn't help it I just looked around I was always in awe of the occasion of where we were and what it meant and how many people were there to support uh, and we did very well we we got to a semi-final uh, we got to a semi-final we played um, Argentina but the toughest thing that can you know it's, it's the toughest game to lose you lose a semi-final and you've only got 24 hours to turn around before you're playing you know you're playing for a a bronze medal at the Olympic Games. Uh, and after that semi, I have to say we were devastated, absolutely devastated, because we pinned our hopes on winning. And actually, by pinning our hopes on only winning and having that as our core kind of value and belief and hope, it was a fail or a succeed. And we felt we, like we'd failed. I'll, I'll be honest. And I'll never forget, we went back to the Olympic Village and our um, assistant coach, Karen Brown, who'd been to two or three Olympic Games and was in this position twice, said to us, OK, we have a choice. You know, as we leave this room, 11pm, 24 hours before our next game, you know, we'll either lose our bronze medal game today or we'll win it today. And it's how you think as you leave the room. And um, she said she'd been in both situations. She'd won one and she'd lost one and it was in our hands. Um, and I'll never forget. And I... Please don't misguide this with any shred of arrogance at all but it was the conversations the tears the um the thoughts around that bronze game that we're going to play for the, the 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 words that were spoken in that room it's the first time ever when we did leave that room the night before I kind of knew we'd win um, because of how we turned ourselves around mentally and that how we would physically for that game and, and so to play New Zealand in a in a home home stadium at London and come out victorious with an Olympic bronze medal was yeah, for I me, mean, it's it's up there with the most special moment of my entire career.
0: Would you say it was up there with the gold you won in Rio, which I know is your next moment, but actually in terms of the process you had to go through and that awful moment, uh, you know, 24 hours before the bronze medal match where you had to really pick yourselves up from rock bottom and put yourselves back in a winning mindset. Absolutely.
1: For me London holds equal importance, joy and memories because without London, very simple, I don't believe we would have won in Rio. There were I, th- I believe there were seven athletes that were in London that went on to Rio so there's seven people who had experienced losing the Olympic semi-final. There were some incredible young athletes that came in and strengthened that team there was all of the athletes we played for that had been in the squad before. It was a combination of not just 16 women that won in Rio, not just 19 that were there, not just 31 that were in the squad. It was almost every player that had played for our country the years before. And we'd all built to that Rio 2016 game. And okay, there were 19 of us in the village that were lucky enough to experience it, but there were so many more, even than the 31 in that, in that four-year cycle that had been a part of winning so for me having the taste of of that success in London having it on home soil um, and winning the Olympic medal for the first time in 20 years was I think fundamental to the success we we had four years later
0: and of course post Beijing hockey as a sport had become professional hadn't it but that was based on a kind of medal winning basis uh, and your funding was going to be maintained pretty much if you won a medal right so you're talking about the kind of of gold or nothing mentality you went into London with but actually there was more pressure externally on you as well for the future of hockey almost
1: yes there was so much more and in in many ways it's where our organization did very well I don't think we quite appreciated how much pressure was on us and um, I think our governing body did a very good job there so did our coach and our CEO etc but it's funny I speak to um, uh, Sally Monday who was our CEO for many many years and she said she never felt so nervous because because she knew in her position how much was hanging on us winning that medal. So yeah, as players, your mind is very much in the moment. It's very much about, um, Trying to secure a win on that day, uh, but when you reflect and you you realise the enormity of what we were able to achieve and the platform it gave us to achieve again, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thankful we didn't know too much about that. Um, but w- when you're fighting for a bronze medal, you don't need any more motivation than that.
0: I was lucky enough to watch quite a bit of the hockey, um, certainly in the second week of the London 2012 Games, uh, and I watched that bronze medal match as well there in the um, in the arena, and it was just It's hard to even put into words, London and I've recently watched a few of the events, kind of a look back series, and it's just extraordinary. And actually, it brings me almost to tears thinking and talking about it, because firstly, the crowds, you know, in this COVID year, we aren't seeing anything like that at the moment. And I think the sight of a very British, heavy, patriotic crowd always gives me goosebumps and makes me want to just bawl my eyes out. But with the hockey as well, I think in 2012, it was this moment where suddenly an entire nation was behind a a woman a women's team it was behind women and that is something that we probably hadn't seen a huge amount of before London 2012
1: yeah i think um you're so spot on it was london created this like just enormous wave of people that were behind the athletes um and i think where we received favor was you could see that we were a team we we didn't have individual superstars we didn't have you know one person that that Saved the day or won the tournament. It was a group of women who had come together, who had a common goal, who worked incredibly hard. And we weren't the most talented hockey players, but we were the most tactically astute. We were the physically the fittest, and we knew what our jobs were for the team—no more, no less—and we were willing to do that game in, game out. And I think that's where it was very special, and there was that connection because we were able to do that. I think that was the, what was so wonderful about those games. So before we delve deeper
0: into Alex's lessons, with soaring highs and crushing lows to come, I wanted to chat about my sponsor Airhead once again, a revolutionary new anti-pollution mask which you can now pre-order via Indiegogo and get a whopping 43% off the retail price. Head to www.airhead.cc forward slash lessons learned now. The founders are all keen cyclists who believe in active travel and protecting our environment, much like myself. While commuting in the city, they soon realised the existing mask market proved hot, uncomfortable and in some cases ineffective. They quit their corporate jobs and joined forces with a team of expert designers at Brunel University to make radical improvements to pollution masks. It is estimated there are 64,000 deaths in the UK due to air pollution, and exposure to dirty air is also proven to negatively impact sports performance. With masks now commonplace, why not wear one that will also protect against air pollution? Absolutely. So from the high of London and from an experience where that culture and that pressure of winning came to fruition and you got a medal to your third moment, which was the 2014 World Cup.
1: Yeah, so this was a very difficult period, actually, when I when I think back and I reflect on that period of time. we came back from london we we're on top of the world we'd we'd won a medal it hadn't been quite the color that we wanted but the euphoria of everything that london brought lifted us and we realized the magnitude of winning an olympic medal so that was fabulous but very quickly after olympic games you have to get back into training there's you know there's there's never as much time or it's never as glamorous as it seems it's okay back to the job and back to trying to recreate success and i think potentially where we didn't move on is we we didn't innovate. We didn't change. We carried on doing what we'd done previously. And actually, in doing that, potentially other teams caught up. Potentially, we 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 just didn't move forward at the level that we needed to. And I I remember coming round to the twenty fourteen um, World Cup, and it was in Holland. It was in. The Hague, which is a place I'd lived for um, a couple of years before, and it's an amazing city. We're playing, you know, in one of the most patriotic hockey countries in the world in a 35,000-seat stadium. And again, I'll be honest, we were hoping we were ranked third in the world, and we wanted to go there and win. We wanted to lift the World Cup trophy. And actually, when I look back now, there were Signs that things were starting to unfold. I think there was some disharmony amongst the group and the staff, and just very small things. But when very small things aren't dealt with and very small things aren't confronted, they they spiral. Um, and we went to that World Cup, and I'll never forget our first game against America. And actually, our um, coach from the London 2012 Olympics, our assistant coach, had gone over to America to become the head coach. You know, there was a bit of edge in that game as well. And we lost the first match, and they the two goals they scored were two corners that we used to use um in that london cycle and i remember the energy in the team was was just non-existent it was we were so flat and it was a terrible start and we didn't pick ourselves up and the next game came and we lost and the next game and it it almost became this this circular nightmare of up we get we play a game it doesn't go well we come back and I think rather than you know grasping onto what was going on looking at in detail okay what can we do how can we do this how can we come together it just ran away from us and I remember playing for the last position and in fact friends of mine and family had come out hoping we'd be in the semi-final and the finals which were three days later we were finishing the tournament so early we'd done so badly and we're playing for 11th 12th spot we're winning 1-0 um, against Belgium I believe but you might have to check that stat I think I've erased it all from my memory and um, we're winning 1-0 and with about two minutes left to go they scored and I just remember thinking of course they scored of course we're going to have to do shuffles for you know the last place at a world cup and I really We won the shuffles and we came 11th but I've never experienced a game like it it was like we won the game not one you know not even sure there was a smile it was just like get off the pitch and let's get home and it was it was just a really important moment I think because we'd achieved such success and we really really hit rock bottom we were right at the bottom positions um we hadn't come together as a group there was lots of um, lots and lots that we needed to work on and, and I remember kind of coming home and we had about three weeks break and, I, and I'll be honest in that period of time I remember thinking you know is my time done you know maybe we need fresh younger athletes need you know some newness to the team and I, I'll be honest I just didn't enjoy it it was just not an enjoyable environment to be in but as I say I look back now and actually What that gave us was exactly the wake-up call we needed. We had two years before the Olympic Games, and at that point we had a choice okay, we carry on as we have, we'll probably get the same results that we have, or we think about making some change, and change is hard, change is difficult, and we often don't want to do it, but that was the decision we faced, and we had some fabulous new staff come in, our players did an unbelievable job of getting our minds back in and getting ready to train, and our journey really started again from there. Yeah, change
0: is confronting, isn't it? And then it's hard to get your head around thinking that what you were doing before was so wrong, and that you've got to sort of make those small changes to ultimately achieve something better. And it's true what you're saying about looking back now and realizing the importance and the, the significance of what happened to you in 2014. I'm sure at the time you'd have wanted to be absolutely anywhere else in the world and you'd have wanted to shut it all off and stop it and shut it away and never have to think about it or experience it. But actually looking back now, I'm grateful is, is a difficult word to use, but are you grateful for what you went through there given what's happened since?
1: Yeah, again, I think um, you're a product of your past. I've always believed that. And um, we learned some valuable lessons from that. It was was difficult and we had to be very deliberate about trying to learn those lessons. And, And you're spot on about change. Change is hard and change is difficult. And this is where language comes in. We always use the word evolve as opposed to thinking about it as... I need to change and we were doing this wrong. We weren't doing it wrong. We didn't need to change. We just needed to evolve and move forwards. We needed to add things to how we were working. We needed to consider things in more depth about how we work with one another. And we needed to plan more methodically. So those were kind of the areas we looked back and we reflected. And Without a shadow of a doubt, had we not had the sequence of events that built into Rio, i.e. London, Holland at the World Cup, and the Champions Trophy just before the Olympic Games didn't go our way, uh, you know, the Euros in 2015 where we won, had we not had that those sequential events happen, I don't believe we would have been equipped to the level that we were when we were in 2016. So it's, it's not about trying to plot the perfect journey, it's about trying to learn as much from the journey that you're effort and your skill level you put in gives you um, and that's what I think we did very very well.
0: But also having the confidence and self-awareness and self-belief to keep the faith in 2014 you were saying you were questioning whether you should retire and whether you were still good enough but actually it's about keeping the faith that just hold on, I know this is so painful and it hurts and it's horrible but holding on, getting through it, you'll look back and be grateful and have learned so much from it and obviously Rio 2016 was very much a reward for you and that is your fourth moment
1: yeah and you're completely right it's it's about all of those things. And it's also about recognising what skills you need within your team. And I think this is something we did unbelievably well between that crushing moment in 2014 and the success we had in 2016. I remember very clearly it was, we're back in training. We'd had a disastrous World Cup. Danny Kerry was back at the helm for us. And I remember him introducing a new member of staff. And this is where, as I said, the looking for the key skills your group needs. We were dejected. We were low in perhaps belief and we were questioning things. And he said, I've got a new member of staff to introduce you to. And, you know, picture paints a thousand words. We were all sat in our chairs, slumped down, thinking, oh, who who now? And he said, um, please let me introduce you to Andrea first. She's going to be our new sports psychologist. And I'll be honest, I remember thinking, well, what on earth? Is, how on earth is she going to help in the next two years building up to, to Rio? Uh, you know, we need to be technically better, we need to be tactically better, we need to be fitter, we need to... And honestly, I, I think she's probably one of the most incredible people I've ever worked with. Um, she helped support our team to change its culture, to change um, our mentality around what we wanted to achieve in, in Rio and not start again, but build on what we'd already learned. So I already alluded to earlier, London, it was about winning. And we put our pin, we pinned our hopes on gold and it didn't happen. So don't get me wrong, we wanted to win in Rio. But Andrea helped us develop a set of values and a vision that not only were they, you know, the words we live by, they were the behaviors that made us. They were the, the bits that brought us together as individuals and then a team. And I'll share those with you. So it took, it took a long time. We didn't come up with this overnight, and we were guided, we were supported. There were lots and lots of conversations, but we came up with a very very, very clear vision which was to be the difference to create history and to inspire the future so number one be the difference it was about what can we do as individuals every day for the good of the team to be that much better so what decisions can we make and um, what conversation can we have with somebody and um, how do we monitor our training programs or have those conversations with the coach it was about being the difference Every single day. Our second one, create history. Don't get me wrong, we still wanted to win in Rio, but it we didn't want to talk simply about winning a gold medal. We wanted to create history. And in doing that, we wanted to win, but we wanted to be the first women's team in hockey to have ever won an Olympic gold medal. So it became bigger than just winning. Our sole purpose became bigger than just that medal. And then our last one, Inspire the Future. Again, I I mentioned when I came into the team at 16. When I was at school, I wanted to be a P teacher. You couldn't be a professional hockey player or a netball player or a tennis or a golf or football or a rugby. All of the things now that a young girl can be, we couldn't be when we were growing up. So we felt we had a real responsibility and an opportunity to really inspire our, particularly the younger generation, so they could see and they could understand that you could do this. You could be this. So that was our vision, and it, it, it really brought us together. But not only that, it gave us a depth to what we were about um, and how we were going to go about it. But like any vision, a vision is is nothing without a set of behaviours or a value system that underpins it. And our our values were very clear. It was, we are one team, we are winners, and be alive. Now, the be alive one, now, obviously, we were all hoping we'd be alive by Rio. It wasn't literal. Um, it was It was... Very simply, okay, are you present when you go to meetings? Um, do contribute uh, are you willing to go the extra mile for a teammate it was about showing up to a pitch session and giving 100% um, and understanding when someone has a bad day or a good day so it was about always um, being present and and living in the moment when we were at training so that was be alive um, we are one team we brought in very practical elements to our day to day training small things we'd wear the same colour top for training it's amazing visually what that does you feel a part of a team um, when we were in the Olympic Village, it transcended all the way when we went to Rio. And we ate every single meal together. I mean, that was a lot of meals. And we were like this bubble that walked around. So we wanted to be that team that people looked in on and thought, I want to be in that. I want to be in that team because of how we behaved. And then the last one, we are winners. That was around creating a culture and environment where we learned how to win. Now I very much believe that winners don't start, you know, turn up at the start line and and just win a race. They don't get the job that they want to um, because they've just put their name forward. It's about learning how to win, what characteristics you need, uh, what language you need to have around people, what are your skills and your super strengths. And and so we really dissected these values to make sure they were tangible behaviours that we became accountable for. And I believe that allowed us to live our vision. Um, And as I said, this this came enormously from Andrea and from the staff and from 31 incredible athletes that sat in the room to design those. Um, and it was probably the proudest part of my career because it, it made me realize that winning, it's a designing process. It's a long and hard and thoroughly rewarding length of time that you go through with others to try and achieve something great. Um, And it's almost like the actual Olympic Games for those two weeks are a bit of a dream um, because all of the work was done before I say all of a lot of the work was done before we obviously went as 19 then to represent 31 and to try and put into practice what we'd spoken about and lived about before gosh what goosebumps
0: thinking about it because for me uh, I watched that and you moved the 10 o'clock news for that final (laughs) um I think that's the first time ever in history uh you you know a women's team game at the, at the olympics move the 10 o'clock news so we could see that final play out in full you very much created history i said it um at the start nine million tuned in to watch can you try to put into words now the emotions of winning that final when you look back four
1: years on <sighs> I, I still find it difficult sometimes if I'm honest um you know if i ever go to something someone asks ask me to take a medal, I open it, and I think, my goodness, it happened. I think for me, looking back and really reflecting, I think when you dream of winning an Olympic gold medal, you think it's going to be the most life-changing event, and in some ways it is, but actually it was almost... It was affirming. It really affirmed that the process that we'd gone through as a group and how methodically we had spoken, dissected, discussed, challenged, thought about, and that's just off the pitch. Then on the pitch, you know, the competitive sessions we'd had, the intricate skill level, the running sessions, the bike sessions, the gym, it was... Almost like our plan had worked. So I'll never forget the moment, the moment we won was just pure euphoria. It was almost like for me at that point, it was 16 years of just yearning and trying and playing with some of those those girls since I was 15. It was it was just pure euphoria. And then after like an hour before we received our Olympic gold medal, I remember standing on the podium and they go down and I'm watching everyone receive it and And then they say, Alex, it's your turn. And you bend forward and they congratulate you and they say, Congratulations, you are you are now an Olympic champion. And I remember almost I feel it now. I remember almost just completely choking up. I remember thinking, you know, dreams can come true. It's what we thought about for so long and and it happened. And it was just a pure sense of pride. It was a pure sense of pride for the 16 women on the podium for the three women that were 100 yards away and for the other 15 that hadn't made the team that I knew were tuning in at home it was like we did it you know we did it and so can you and and that's how I felt just enormous pride.
0: God it just sounds incredible absolutely sensational but as ever sport and life is humbling So from that high, from the high of Rio, from Olympic gold to becoming Olympic champion to a somewhat different, but equally as crushing low, we're now, we've just come through the two year anniversary of your head injury. Talk to us about that.
1: So in 2018, I was one of my greatest privileges in my career. After after Rio, was the team voted for myself to be captain, and we went to a home World Cup. And I remember walking the team out in front of 10,000 um, home home supporters, many of my family and friends in there. And wow, it was such an occasion. Again, one full of pride that we put on such a fabulous event. And it didn't go quite the way we wanted it to. We were knocked out by Holland in the quarterfinals, but it was still an amazing occasion. And we were on the right track for Tokyo. Um, We had a few weeks off after, and um, my husband and I took a very, very rare break. Trying to get me on a holiday is an absolute nightmare. Uh, He managed to persuade me. I went to Kenya for just under three weeks. It was a fabulous holiday, Um, again, I I do remember it very clearly. We're sat in a kind of concrete seat and my husband said something and, you know, I flung myself forward laughing. I flung my head back and I just hit my head flush on a concrete wall. And I remember, I I remember kind of being like, oh, God, that hurt. Uh, But it was almost this, you know, we kind of, not laughed, but I was, I was embarrassed and thinking, God how nerve did I manage that um, and I, I remember getting going heading back to our apartment where we were staying and and I actually said to Alex my husband's also called Alex I actually said to him and um, oh please don't be concussed I'd had two or three concussions in the past um, unpleasant lasted a, a few weeks a couple a couple of months um, and there'd been a couple of head injuries in our group at the time as well I was like please don't be concussed and he was like don't be silly you're fine uh, and then that night I remember waking up every hour and that's when I knew, I was like, okay, this is, I've had this before. It disturbs your sleep. I've probably slightly concussed. Wake up the next morning and I said to her, come on, let's go and do some training. Let's go for a run. So we went for a run and I, you know, we're walking back to our apartment after we finished running and I remember thinking, oh, I'm okay, like brilliant, I've got away with it. And I walked into the room and it was like the whole room spun. And at that point, I knew, I said to Al, okay, we're going to have to take it easy. Um, I've got a bit of a concussion, be mild, I'll be fine in a, a week or so. And I'm, unfortunately for me, what unfolded was, you know, I... Sometimes I can't believe how poorly I got. So over the next six weeks, I got worse and worse. Coming back from Kenya was an absolute nightmare. We were actually stopped um, because tears were rolling down my cheeks. So I was white as a sheet. I couldn't balance properly. Um, and someone came over to us and said, look, are you okay to travel? And my husband, I think, made some excuse. We'd had an argument or something to get me on the plane because we just thought I needed to get home. Um, you yeah, know, In hindsight, we probably did lots of things wrong. Um, but six weeks later, I got so poorly. And I, I couldn't tolerate any noise whatsoever so even putting a cup down like in a room it would I couldn't bear the noise I couldn't tolerate any light so it was the reality for six weeks was in in a dark bedroom no noise my husband had to creep in to check that I was okay and then unfortunately at six weeks I got more and more poorly and started being violently sick having seizures and I was rushed into hospital and I had every scan emergency scan under the sun the NHS were fabulous um, and to their absolute delight and relief, they were convinced I had a bleed. There wasn't anything detected. Um, now, they think there perhaps was something small that reabsorbed because it was so unusual to get that poorly, you know, six weeks on. Um, and I, I remember the neurologist just coming round after a few days in hospital. Um, and she said to me, you're very lucky. She said this, you've been very, very poorly. She said, you've got a mild traumatic brain injury. And this could take several months to get better. I remember looking at her thinking, oh, Yeah, whatever you don't know you don't know me you know I beat every injury I'll be back playing in two weeks and I just disregarded everything she said so quickly thinking she's got two heads she doesn't know you know I can beat that and unfortunately I went home and you know I, I couldn't I couldn't walk to the bathroom without help um I couldn't hold a conversation. Um, my family would visit one at a time every day, but just sit with me. Um, and this went on for months. And I, and I remember there being a real fear element at the time because I thought they must have misdiagnosed something. It was almost like every um, sense dial had been dialed up. I couldn't process any information. I couldn't look at a screen. And. As I said, that was unfortunately months and months, probably about eight months, I started to see very slow improvements. I'd be able to walk um, 100 yards to... Um, the end of a footpath near where my mum and dad lived. I had to move back with them because we were building at our house and I couldn't tolerate any noise. And the only way to get through it was almost to look back on my athletic career and remember what improvement was all about. It's about taking the small wins every day. Okay, so today I've walked downstairs, that's a tick. You know, a week on, I'd walk to the end of the garden. You know, I think about month six I cooked my first meal which was boiled eggs and I forgot how to do it but I still did it. So it's about relearning and um, you know, finding joy in doing the small things. But yeah, it was it was really difficult and I'm I'm very thankful two years on. I'm like a different human even to a year ago. You you wouldn't know anything was wrong with me. uh, But I still get headaches most days. But I'm I'm thankful because I can I can live a normal life and at that point I just for well over a year I, I could do very, very little. It
0: sounds so utterly debilitating. And I think what's difficult, especially for an athlete like yourself, is that it's invisible. There's no wound that's healing visibly that you can see progress every day. There's no broken bone that's, that's fixing back together. It's entirely untrackable, untraceable. It's this un- invisible thing that you had in your head that yeah. simply wasn't, at one point wasn't healing and, and was getting worse and worse and worse. And I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for you to go from the height of your career as England, Great Britain, hockey captain, to suddenly being unable to walk, to being unable to speak to people, unable to to live life like even an, a, a mere mortal, <laughs> not a, an Olympic athlete, an Olympic champion.
1: I think that was the hardest thing. It was, um, you're absolutely right. In my career with any injury, it's torn a torn hamstring. Okay, we've got three months and you try and beat that and you'd work on other areas of your body or other areas of your game and with a head injury it's completely invisible the doctors are fabulous and do their absolute best but there isn't enough research to understand what's really going on inside all they can do is mark your improvement and when you don't improve you can't progress and so there was no time scales there was no timeline for me it was just hope and one thing that got me through it is I always believed and I still do I'm not at 100% health I, I, I fully believe I'll make a full recovery and in the darker days when it was tough because it was relentless day in day out and some days you know I couldn't leave my bed and Alex would make me say every night before I went to bed and every morning before I got up, he was like, I am getting better. I will get better. I'm going to make a full recovery every day. And, you know, putting that language in your brain, it changes the way you think. It changes the way you behave. It supports you in moving forward. Because when you have something that uh, is unseen, it's unseen. To an extent, yes, it was diagnosed, but they don't know exactly what's going on. They can't give you a timescale. You have to draw on every tiny positive part of your thinking in your body to help you move forward. Um, and I think that was the key in my very, very slow recovery. It was, okay, that's a small win. Okay, that I've done today. Yes, I, I do believe I'm going to get better, but I know it's going to be slow. Um, and that's been, um, I have to say, my husband and my family, without them dying, done and what I would have
0: done. (laughs) And how much perspective has it given you as well? You went from achieving the highest highs and this elite kind of top 1% of performance to just appreciating being able to cook two boiled eggs. What what sort of perspective has it actually taught you? And and you said it made you appreciate the small things in life as well. And how important was that?
1: Yeah, I think perspective has been, you know, I've definitely been given that over the last couple of years. Um I think I've I've learned more than anything that your health is everything. You know, there is there's nothing more important than your health and and alongside that is your your family and for me my husband you know you 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 have an inner team you have a team of people around you and and they've become the most important actually life is unrecognizably different with with my injury and being out in nature um, helped. So natural lights, um, the calmness of sitting with the kind of the wind in your face or all of those things helped enormously. Whereas you know, my life before couldn't have been any busier. I couldn't have been running here, there and everywhere. I was forever on screens. Um, you know, I loved, I love what I did. Don't get me wrong. I was training for hours a day and suddenly overnight I couldn't look at a screen. I um, couldn't keep in contact with people and I couldn't exercise. So it was about Um, Finding enjoyment in new things, Um, and I think it's definitely made me build better relationships with family and friends. It's made me um, choose to use my time in different ways, Um, and yes, my hope was always to get back to international hockey. Hockey's still in my, it's in my DNA. I love it. I love, I love the career it gave me. But actually, my my health became my priority, Um, and when you don't have that for a period of time your thinking just changes. Um, and even my, you know, my attitude to exercise now, I don't think I've not run. You know, I've run every day since I was about 14 years old and, you know, I hit my head and, and now I make sure I I have an active lifestyle as opposed to, you know, the athletic lifestyle I lived before. So just the way you view life and what becomes important to you definitely shifts. Um, but it's just a different life and, it, and it's still a great one.
0: And you mentioned family there and we must touch upon the awful but courageous journey that your sister is going on as well. And just for those who don't know, can you briefly explain what happened to Claire and and how that has affected you as well, alongside recovering from a head injury?
1: Yeah, so pretty much exactly a year ago, um, it was... Uh, End of August 28th in 2019, my sister is a triathlete. She's a age group triathlete and she was out training before she was heading off to the World Championships and had a terrible accident um, with a tractor. Um, And she broke pretty much every single bone in her body from waist up. Her arms were crushed, um, fractured skull, jaw. Uh, She broke every single one of her ribs. But most tragically, she broke her back in three places and is now paralysed from... Um, T5 and um, so if anyone doesn't know that's kind of around chest height Yeah, you know, I remember very clearly getting the phone call and it was from actually it was my husband that got the phone call I was just driving out he came running out saying Alex we need to get to the hospital because i Naxton." and I knew I, I don't know whether it's sister you know I don't know whether this I just knew it was bad and actually it you know it was she, she punched both her lungs it was, it's just a miracle that she was alive and the journey she's been on over the last year she's She's now back with her triathlon club. She's open water swimming. She's hand cycling. She's back running her private tutoring business as a teacher. You know the journey she's been on has been absolutely phenomenal and. Actually, the one thing that the head injury gave me, which I'm most proud about, was time. So even though I wasn't still well, um, I was able to be with Claire most days at the hospital. Um, she came and lived with us. Um, we got we, she, she discharged herself actually from the fabulous spinal unit in Salisbury. Um, when COVID started because she was vulnerable and she came to live with us for three months. So, you know, it's funny how things happen for us both to have had injuries at similar times, but it she was great to me when I was very poorly and at home and it, and it enabled me to be with her. But, you know, she doesn't need any of us now. She's off and, and living life. And I, I have no doubt it's a case of watch this space because she'll go on to do great things.
0: God, what an incredible story. You're both phenomenal women. To mm-hmm. so have come back from from what you both have and, and to have experienced the lowest of lows and and to be here now and talking to me and and talking not with any sense of bitterness or any sense of what if but as you said at the start you've achieved absolutely everything you wanted to achieve in your career and you can walk away from the sport very happy and content and I think that's all you can ask for.
1: Yeah I think one thing that um I wanted always to be really clear. For me, my head injury was the very best worst thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and I I look back on my career with nothing but happiness, um, with utter pride. And I'm so grateful of the opportunities that I had. Um, but most of all, I don't have any regrets because of how I chose to, to live my career. And, and all that the last two is Two years has given me is wonderful family and friends and husband by my side. So I have nothing really, but thanks. Oh gosh, that's
0: such a lovely sentiment to finish on. And I love that the best worst thing, because that's what this podcast is about. It's about those awful moments that we learn these lessons from and ultimately shape us into better people. And it's... Just so lovely to hear you say it, and that you're well and healthy, and your sister's doing so well as well. I'm so glad to hear it, Alex. Thank you so much for giving so much of yourself to this podcast, um, and for talking and talking away with me. I've loved it.
1: My pleasure. Thanks very much, having me, Laura.
0: A huge thank you to Alex Danson for taking us on that journey with her. It certainly moved me and made me reflect. I think what we've just heard is proof that while awful, crushing, terrible things may have happened or be happening to all of us, so often the lessons we learn from the darkest moments are ones we ultimately hold on to for a lifetime. So that's it for episode six. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, hit subscribe, leave a review and get in touch on social media as well. At Laura C. Winter on Twitter and Instagram and at Lessons Learned Pod on Instagram. Plus, if you think your friends or family might enjoy this, please share it with them. I'll be back next episode with another surprise guest to explore the highs and lows and what it takes to be a successful athlete. See you then.